This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome back to the Space Hour on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. With more and more critical infrastructure relying on space technology, security of that tech becomes a major concern. For that to work, government agencies and major industry partners will need to work together. Enter the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or Space ISAC. These kinds of offices help maintain a healthy relationship between the public and private sector. To learn more about it, I spoke with Aaron Miller, who is the executive director of Space ISAC. So the Space ISAC is the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and we started up the organization in 2019. Uh, we launched it uh, actually not we, the private sector, but actually in this case, the White House made a public announcement for the need for the Space ISAC at the Space Symposium in a classified session. And uh, the the uh, representative from NASA and uh, representing the S&T Science and Technology Partnership Forum came forward and declared that we must break down the silos of sharing of information that's critical to the protection of our space critical infrastructure. So at that time, the private sector had already uh, initially spoke out and acknowledged their willingness to support. And so both public and private sector stood on stage with representatives stating the, the need to form a space ISAC and that they would be moving out. And the mission would support the global space industry coming together to prepare for and respond to vulnerabilities, incidents, and threats and share timely actionable information and also be the primary communications channel with respect to this information. So thus we had a space ISAC. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, how quickly the partnership, it seems, between the private sector and public sector kind of sort of came together um, after, you know, I guess, harsh divide and maybe not so harsh dividing lines um, in the past. But what do you make of the speed at which these partnerships have really flourished? Oh gosh, I would not call it quick. <laughs> okay. I, would say, I stand corrected. <laughs> I would say that there was a pivotal moment in the SNT partnership forum meetings. Uh, I wasn't privy to any of those meetings, but I've heard that uh, once there was agreement that we needed to break down the silos of information sharing, then it was well understood that the ISAC model could fulfill the requirements needed because it's used in, to protect other critical infrastructures and it's been around for 20 years. So there's a lot of uh, appreciation for the ISACs and the ISAOs and the work that they do. And there's backing for it under Presidential Policy Directive 21. And then also subsequent to the Space ISACs launch, we had Space Policy Directive 5 that came out that asked the space community to use ISACs to share threat intelligence. So after that you know, pivotal moment, then we had the reinforcement of public-private partnership and using ISACs in SPD-5. So overall, that was what, like a five-year time frame? And the Space ISAC itself, I would say, has moved relatively quickly in terms of progress as compared to uh, maybe some other nonprofits, and you see the development of how they grow. It usually takes um, about 10 years, I would say, from my experience to really see a nonprofit be sustainable and flourishing and you know reliable that it's going to be around for the next 
20 to 30 years. And in the case of the space ISAC, I think we've accomplished a lot more than what was originally expected. I've heard that feedback from the community. So it's not just my opinion that I'm espousing here, uh, that we're moving relatively quickly and showing a lot of progress for being a new organization. Hmm. And what what is considered, I guess, the critical infrastructure within uh, the space realm? Is it something obvious like, you know, GPS or are there other things that play that most people don't realize are or need to be protected? And um, both government and the private sector are aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the space ISAC is focused on uh, three priority areas. So we're looking at protecting operations technology and the supply chain business systems and the space mission itself. And the way that we do that is help to improve the security posture of the global space community, which primarily includes our vetted members from uh, the US defense industrial base, the space industrial base, the intelligence community, and our international and commercial sector uh, companies that have been vetted to join the Space ISAC. The uh, companies represent across uh, launch, communication, space vehicles, space systems engineering, payload designers, cybersecurity companies, and cloud and data processing. And the infrastructure that we're protecting is the infrastructure that they all use to uh, conduct uh, the mission. So ground systems and ground stations, the space layer infrastructure, so any space assets, uh, spacecraft or satellites, et cetera. And then the impact to the user. And in some cases, it may include um, the underlying infrastructure. So some of those uh, items I can list out for you that we would be concerned about in particular would be the entire uh, process of development. So design, development, manufacture, and launcher operations of space systems. And then that includes all of those different elements. So ground systems, space vehicles, payload design, and also all hardware and software and components that are going into these vehicles. And what are the kinds of risks that they face? Uh, is it just somebody taking over it or, you know, I, I, I just really have never heard of, you know, any ransomware attacks on a space infrastructure, but what, what kind of um, threats are they facing? Yeah, our going in position in the space ISAC is that uh, all critical infrastructures are vulnerable because we've seen this with every other critical infrastructure. So there are about 30 other ISACs and uh, we've seen, you know, in the nuclear industry, in uh, IT with, you know, the forming of the internet and everything interconnected. Now we have IOT that there's no limit, it seems, to the number of vulnerabilities that can emerge from critical infrastructure. And uh, hitting the news over the past several months, we saw meatpacking plants and pipelines, oil pipelines that were impacted. And we know that uh, companies that are in the space industry are targeted. So their business systems are in particular targeted, but there's no reason to believe that uh, the same type of cyber vulnerabilities that impact our terrestrial network are not uh, impacting our space layer network. So as we look to run 5G and 6G through space-based assets, and uh, we plan on you know, continuing to use our space-based assets to help with um, health connection to healthcare, education, uh, financial transactions, access to the energy grid, 
as well as tourism. And then all that doesn't even, you know, mention the number of jobs associated with the space industry as it grows to a trillion dollars of a global space economy by 2040. So we have a lot riding now on space. And that means that those vulnerabilities that our terrestrial network experiences, we need to take a look at sharing that type of information for the space layer network as well. That everything that's up there or even on the ground that's connected to what's up there is uh, just an extension of our terrestrial layer network. You already laid out a few of them, um, but I want to. I was curious, you know, Congress is just getting around to trying to pour more resources into protecting infrastructure on the ground here, you know, like pipelines and everything like that. What role do federal agencies and the private sector, what's what what roles do both sides need to play here to ensure that uh, we don't, you know, start have an incident in which everyone starts panicking like we did with the Colonial Pipeline? Yeah, there's a lot of different roles for the public and the private sector. Uh, in the space ISAC, then we're looking for both organizations or both categories of entities to share information and come together and collaborate. So we've established a number of uh, what we call collaborative groups. One of them is our supply chain risk management working group. We also have a blockchain applications for space community of interest. We have an artificial intelligence, machine learning and data analytics community of interest. And in all of these, and we're looking for public and private partnership. Um, I would say most importantly, in our analyst working group and our future watch center, we're looking for public-private partnership to share threats and vulnerabilities and specific actionable information or actionable intelligence for the community at large. And this can be sharing information with just Space ISAC members. It could be sharing information and using the Space ISAC as a channel uh, by which the government can get information out to a community, whereas, you know, in other instances, if you're trying to share information just directly to an individual company, there may, issues may arise with that from the government perspective uh, related to fairness. But if we are looking at using the space ISAC as a means to share uh, information that needs to reach every single space entity that we can reach, then uh, we're getting information out in a timely manner where uh, owners and operators and end users can take action to potentially uh, mitigate an issue that could be as uh, big of an impact as the Colonial Pipeline incident. You're in those meetings. What are, what are those, uh, you know, what's kind of what the attitude, um, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. What is the, the structure of how those uh, groups that you just described there look? Is it, you know, pretty uh, high nod towards collaboration or is there some restriction restrict uh, restrictive nature there where people kind of feel like they want to be left alone a little overall i would say that there's pretty high energy because people know there's a sense of urgency and there's other folks that may not necessarily recognize that same sense of urgency and there, you know, that's where you find the difference in engagement is what whether or not the person is personally motivated and sees the reasons why we need to take action now before, you know, we have a full blown Internet in the sky. Oh, wait, we already do. <laughs> and we're not uh, protecting it. So I would say that uh, it's just a matter of perspective and we need to get to a place where it's not just personality driven and there's 
uh, a designation of space systems as its own sector, critical infrastructure sector, that would help take personalities out of the equation and make it more of policy perspective and answer some hard questions about the U.S. position on our national security for on national security for space and uh, what types of standards we need to be working towards as a community. Now, I'm not saying that because we designate space systems as its own critical infrastructure, we would then immediately go to standards. We would immediately go to a lot more discussion with the public and private sector about what the community norms should be, which would then later evolve to standards. But I wanna also acknowledge the private sector's uh, desire. We're seeing a lot of interest from private sector companies to join Space ISAC. And after our uh, watch center opens next year in June, which is just right around the corner, time is flying. I would, I anticipate that we're going to have even more uh, interest and excitement because uh, nearly every private sector company that I talk to sees the uh, reason why a space ISAC must exist. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they ask why we didn't do it sooner. So very pleased with the progress and excited about the momentum that we have as a public and private sector community. That's Erin Miller. She's the executive director of Space ISAC. For our final segment today, we'll talk to a space executive with long tie-ins to the aerospace community. You're listening to the Space Hour on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.